0: Hello and welcome to the special Dry Bones Ministries podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. My name is Father Adam Potter and today we reflect on the 29th letter, Cowardice. Friends, as we get to the end of this book, things intensify as the war clamors on with even more attacks, more air raids, more lives lost and Here we're also getting to the point where we see Screwtape getting desperate to try and win back the patient of Wormwood's heart. That at this point is very much seemingly secure in God's camp, and yet they're trying to do whatever they can to reevaluate their policy, their tactics, to bring him back over to their side. And so that's how this. Letter opens up with a reconsideration of their policy. How, what do we aim at now? Is it cowardice or at courage with pride following? Or maybe if we just get them to hate the Germans? Well, in the second paragraph, we find that courage is not the way to go. There's this great line that uh, it says Our research department has not yet discovered how to produce any virtue. And so trying to make him feel brave so that eventually he'll feel prideful, uh, is not the way to go for the enemy's side because all virtue is on the Lord's side. Virtue, it's this habit, it's the disposition to, uh, to habitually choose the good, what's right, what's true. And so, um, yeah, to, make him feel brave or courageous would not be good. Um, this is a serious handicap, he says. to be greatly effectively wicked, a man does seem does need some virtue. This is kind of an interesting idea that even the most wicked and uh, dastardly of individuals throughout history, have had some sort of a a courage, or not just courage, but some sort of a a virtue to allow them to be so effectively wicked. Um, He gives the the example of Attila, Shylock. I'm not sure who Shylock is. Sorry, I should have looked that up. Um, So, yeah, Attila, did he have some virtues? Sure. Um, Some virtues that allowed him to be even more wicked and destructive all the way. Um, So, to remove the idea of going for a virtue like courage, he then produces the idea in the third paragraph of, what if we get him to be hateful and to be filled with hatred? And this would be a, a great tactic because there's a lot of people who are really suffering at the hands of particular people, or even if it's not particular people, what if we just get him to hate a group of people ambiguously? This is probably an even better strategy as opposed to uh, a hatred that's directed towards one person. That usually sparks our own conscience that I'm not supposed to do this, but if it's kind of an amorphous group, we're much more likely to feel hatred and even feel justified by it seeing the destruction that the other side this other group has done to these people that i really care about does this ring a bell at all in terms of many of us today a lot of people are filled with a lot of hatred towards gosh it's not even towards individuals it's really towards groups because you're associated with this side or that side or this person or this ideology that all of a sudden once I identify you as belonging to this group, now I've, it, now you're easily dismissed and I can hate you because I've associated all of these tragedies to this group that now you are associated with. And this is just a really dangerous place to be whenever we stop looking at the individuals and more, look at groups, all the while forgetting that Jesus Christ commands us to love our enemies, love them, to to really love them, and um, not easy. And especially in the climate of our culture today, where hatred is the cool thing to do these days. In the fourth paragraph, Screw Tape says, "Hatred." Is best combined with fear. Hatred is best combined with fear. Cowardice, he says, alone of all the vices, is purely painful. I had to think about this. Alone of all the vices, is there any other vice that's uh, that's painful? From before I do it, I'm considering being this, like acting out this vice while I'm acting out this vice and then even afterwards um he says cowardice is alone purely painful it's horrible to anticipate it's horrible to feel in the moment and then it's horrible to remember that is true i just like thinking about the the fear that cowardice uh brings about in anticipation of stepping up or making this decision or making this move that anticipated cowardice is really painful. And then in the moment, whenever I'm at that point of decision and I'm backing away from taking this risk and stepping out in faith that's miserable too. And then whenever I remember how I was cowardly, that's miserable as well. So anyway, yeah, that that's just a great, and I'm going to think about that more, just about that vice of cowardice, purely painful compared to gosh gluttony can seem attractive beforehand even in the moment uh it can be enjoyable as well but afterwards oh now now i feel horrible painful both physically and spiritually lust is similar to that too there's the enticement of the vice but maybe in the moment or following there's just that emptiness and so Yeah, hatred has its pleasures. Hatred has its pleasures, though. It's therefore often the compensation by which a frightened man reimburses himself for the miseries of fear. The more he fears, the more he will hate. Wow. Like just thinking about how hatred is so rampant in our culture and our society today, it's also worth noting that there is so much fear being pushed out there and thinking about all of the different news stories, all the different talking heads, so many of them to get attention and to sell stories incite fear. And so from that fear, all of a sudden is this rocket fuel for real hatred and, and division. So this letter, gosh, could really be used to speak to and sum up a lot of what we're going through. And it's not surprising. We know that the evil one is on the move to really, really attack us. Moving on to the fifth paragraph. He talks about a ticklish business. Now this is a ticklish business. What does that mean? Uh, I would say like a sensitive, uh, a business where he needs to tread lightly. He says, we've made men Proud of most vices, but not cowardice. Whenever we have almost succeeded in doing so, the enemy permits a war or an earthquake or some other calamity, and at once courage becomes so obviously lovely and important, even in human eyes, that all our work is undone, and there is still at least one vice of which they feel genuine shame. So, pause there, right? this is something worth thinking about. I was kind of considering this before while reading and then before this podcast, the, the idea that men have become proud of most vices. Can we think about how true this is? Uh, I think about, I already mentioned lust. I think that's something that we can easily say that people are proud of. We boast about it. We write songs about it. It's in almost every single music. Uh sorry, almost every single movie. What else would we be proud of? How about gluttony? There's like a hot dog eating contest <laughs> and among other food eating contests where if that's not uh, the deadly sin of gluttony, I don't know it is, and it's celebrated for the ability to completely stuff oneself uh all for some trophy championship. think about other other vices that can just be really celebrated is like wow that is amazing how far you've gone to this extreme depravity uh, but not with cowardice not with cowardice so we there's something about this vice that cuts really deep to the heart of every single man and woman that I refuse to be a coward I think it has something to do with how courage has everything to do with being true to ourself and being authentic. And we know that whenever we're cowardly, we're not being true to who we know we're supposed to be. And there's no escaping that reality. And So yeah, the evil one, the demons have never been able to make cowardice attractive. Wow, that was really great how you were lame back there and didn't say anything or didn't stick your neck out for your best friend. That was awesome. It's like, no, we know that was... Uh, despicable so what does that look like this is where then the tactic of the evil one has to be sensitive because to stir up a war or some other great calamity in the world or in a country is very easily used to induce humans to respond with courage and and that's where oftentimes there is there's a tactic of the evil one to allow us to become comfortable. We could call it being fat and, uh, and happy, such that we can fall into this realm of peace and we come to ignore the good and evil entirely that there would be any sense of like urgency in doing what's right. No, 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 we're, we're comfortable here. So, this is where then, in the sixth paragraph, he notices that one of God's motives for um, creating the world that it is, is that he would almost intentionally make it a dangerous world, a world in which moral issues really come to the point. He sees as well as you do that courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point which means at the highest point of its reality. Think about this, right? I mean, it's really I'm not much of a historian, but I know enough to realize for most of the world's history it's been a dangerous place. It's really only in the last uh we could say a couple decades that like we've been able to have national um national awareness and sensitivity and peaceful relations between nations, even between people working in accord with like a common good and and all of these things where there aren't just bands of wild uh, hordes of people who are trying to get as much as they can and attack um, outlaws out there, right? Like we've come to this place where we just kind of expect that there's going to be people who will do their civil duty and protect one another through police or national armed forces and these sorts of things. But that just hasn't always been the case that the world was necessarily dangerous in terms of how about just not just other people, but in the, even in the weather and the elements, things that could very easily come and wipe out your house or your town or the whole farm that you had worked so hard on. And anyway, that that would stir up a natural courage in the hearts of men and women. And this is so important, right? Because if there's a natural sense of courage, now, whenever the testing point comes, that moment of, am I going to be prudent? Am I going to be honest? Am I going to be temperate? Am I going to like, whatever it is that I have that courage to, at the moment of testing, step up and do the right thing. He gives this really insightful um, example where he says, A chastity or honesty or mercy which yields to danger will be chaste or honest or merciful only on conditions. Pilate, he says, was merciful till it became risky. It's easy to be chaste, (laughs) to be pure. Whenever we're not tested, whenever we're surrounded by people that are on the same page in terms of uh, what's pure, what's good, and the, those virtues. But all of a sudden, whenever I'm surrounded by others who don't have the same mindset and don't value the same things, what happens then? How about being honest or forgiving Whenever I'm surrounded by people who are also intent on telling the truth and living with integrity, great. I can get along with it. But what happens whenever I'm pushed into another group where lying is now the new norm and trying to get as much as I can? And he gives Pilate as an example. He was merciful too for most of his life until he was actually tested. Will he actually... See the goodness, the justice of Jesus Christ, or will he give in to the pressure of the crowds, crucify him, crucify him. We want Barabbas. This is, uh, then moves into the next paragraph where there's a, a really important emphasis of screw tape on this devastating effect of despair or discouragement. He says, at the very end of this paragraph but i fear you have already let him get too far in the enemy's school and he knows that despair is a greater sin than any of the sins sins which provoke it i would love for us all to recognize this and know this that whatever the fault is whatever the sin whatever the shortcoming that's one thing right but that we might be able to go back to the Lord no matter what it is, no matter how far we've fallen, no matter what sin we've committed. Okay, now all of a sudden I haven't left the end the I haven't left God's camp too far. But I would argue even worse than the sin is falling into this discouragement or this despair that well, I'm too far gone at this point. Like, um, God couldn't welcome me back or I don't have what it takes to, to live this out and this then is straight from hell. This this despair or this discouragement. And yeah, as screw tape says, and I just I agree. I've seen that as in my own personal life, and then also hearing plenty of confessions for these last couple years of being a priest. So what's in the the last part, this last paragraph, emphasizes a an attack, a tactic to allow the patient to become self self-reliant he says quote the point is to keep him feeling that he has something other than the enemy encourage the enemy supplies to fall back on so that what was intended to be a total commitment to duty becomes honeycombed all through with little unconscious reservations so to attack his cowardice, to attack his fear, to attack him in all these ways. What he wants to then do ultimately for this patient is if he can't get him to live out fully this vice of cowardice, at least get him to fall back into this place of being self-reliant, right? So not relying on God, not relying on the sacraments, on prayer, on... Immersion in scripture and the help of the intercession of saints and those, the community of believers don't get him to rely on them. Have him rely on himself or just anything else other than God so that he can think whenever he comes to this point of being tested, he can fall back on himself or these other things, but just not God, not his grace, not his, not his mercy. And how many of us fall into self-reliance? wanting to be in control, wanting to know exactly what's going on and just going to the Lord only in those really drastic situations where I'm really desperate. And that can be dangerous that I wouldn't seek to live every single moment in a place of dependency on, on God. That's where we need to be. And that's where uh, the Lord desires us to be so that we can, live in humility, that even if we fall, we can come right back to him, recognizing, oh, my sinfulness is just a reminder of how I can't do this without you, without your grace, Lord God, without your mercy, I am doomed to fail. But with you, I know that I have everything that I need and I can truly persevere to the end. So friends, that's our uh, 29th letter here, all on cowardice and Again, as I've said throughout this letter, I just think this is so important for us in our day and age. Um, in the faith, first of all, to be courageous. It's hard to be faithful today. There are so many different attacks coming at us. There are so many different mockeries and dismissals. Do you really believe that? Do you, you're you really going to church still? You're, you're still praying? All these different ways that the mockery just comes at us. And so... In a sense, from that letter, we can appreciate God allows this so that our courage, so that our resolve might be even more fortified. We need this true in our society where vices are so celebrated. We are living in an upside down world in so many ways where what is good is bad. What was bad is now good. And so that we might have courage and integrity to stand up and not be afraid no matter what the cost, no matter what we lose or no matter what people say, to continue to live in God's grace. I heard it said by a, a priest friend of mine that courage is courageous. Sorry, courage is contagious. So the more that we're courageous, the more other people will see that and catch on and do it too. So let's pray for this virtue of courage. Let's pray that we might be effective Um to other people as well, to stir them up to a great dependency on God and courage in all moments. St. Michael, the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this special podcast series, Reflections on the Screwtape Letters. If you'd like to support the work of Dry Bones Ministries, please visit drybonespgh.org. God bless you, friends. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me as we come to these last two letters coming up. We're coming to the end and to see the the resolution of this patient and all of the spiritual battles So stay tuned. I look forward to being with you next time. God bless.